that's the best advice to somebody that's looking at and evaluating some of the smaller systems. It's not to take anything away from the functionality and the things that they do because they do them well. But if you're a business that's looking at, you know, what what that future could be, I think you're you're best to understand that there could be some additional work into the next. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ, which ERP system has been in the market for more than 20 years and designed from the perspective of job shops. It is the ERP that was built by shop owners who had owned a shop before. It is the ERP that gets its name from its owner's last name. It is also the ERP that would be fit for smaller shops and that ECI acquired in 2000. Which one did he guess? If you have guessed E2Shop Tag, then you are right. In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts to review E2Shop's capabilities. We covered many grounds, including its uh, superior data model compared to other smaller products targeted for job shops, such as ECI M1 and uh, ProShop. Finally, we discussed unique features that are commonly found in the products targeted for make-to-order manufacturing, such as release functionality for sales orders, and discussed if these features might be necessary or might be a result of broken processes. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday, at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, and we pick one vendor or the solution that we review independently. For today, we have a very interesting manufacturing solution. It's called ShopTag. And obviously, it has a lot of different names, I guess, after ECI acquired, and now probably it's going to have completely different names. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing all of that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital um, transformation concerning firm. On that note, I am going to move to Dave for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Hey, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting company working with leaders in the manufacturing and distribution spaces helping them to create systems that free them to drive growth and operate with excellence. And I come to you with more than uh, 20 years in operations leadership roles and excited to be here with you both. Thanks for having me, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for uh, being here, Dave. Uh, and Dave, can I move to you next for your intro? Thank you for inviting me, Sam. My name is Andy Pratico. I've been involved in ERP software for small to mid-sized manufacturers for a long, long time, about 41 years, I think, something like that. I live in uh, British Columbia, Vancouver, 
I lived in the U.S. for 10, 11 years, and I've worked with manufacturers all over North America throughout my career. And uh, as I've learned, so many other, so many companies are not happy with the current systems. I wrote a book on how to evaluate ERP software, and uh, hopefully it uh, helps one or two companies out there before they make their decision. Thank you very much again, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Andy. And if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. Uh, we typically try to cover them during the show. If we run out of time, we make sure that you guys are going to receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the quick briefing on today's um, solution, as well as a little recap on ECI's corporate strategies well. And then um, you guys can chime in based on uh, whatever uh, experience you might have with the product. Or um, So now, when we go back to our ECI discussion when we had, um, and we discussed that ECI, the way ECI likes to approach the market, they are going after the market that is going to be slightly smaller than your Apicor Infor. Apicor, their strategy is very similar. The way Apicor or Infor were formed as the company, the way they are approaching, in fact, Aptine is probably in the similar bus as well. So uh, these four companies, I try to put them in the similar bucket. The only difference between these four companies is going to be the kind of you know size of companies that these guys are trying to target. Uh, ECI in general is trying to target slightly more smaller. Um, I like to define it as more of the QuickBooks segment. That is going to be, and Andy is probably going to be asking asking me the size um, <laughs> of those companies. So I'll throw it out there. And that is going to be roughly 5-ish to 15-ish uh, million dollars is how I like to define uh, the size for the ECI market, maybe 20 uh, five, five to twenty, you figure. Uh, fifteen to twenty, yeah. That's that's my take on ECI's um, uh, product offering in general. These are going to be very single site, uh, smaller shops. The companies that cannot afford to have a real ERP, in my opinion. Uh, you know, even though ECI's uh, product lines are far superior than a lot of different uh, vendors that we have in the market. But again, they are designed for slightly more smaller operations. They are not going to be as sophisticated in planning MRP. Uh, uh, once you are at 20, 30 million dollar range, that's when you sort of uh, start, you become slightly more sophisticated in your planning and your inventory. But before that, you know, you are probably going to be okay, uh, even if you are not doing that. So that's the kind of, you know, market segment that I like to uh, define. Uh, majorly, the kind of, you know, acquisitions that you have seen, especially last year, they were really aggressive in acquiring a lot of different companies. Um, I believe last year they had acquired DCOM, if I'm not off. Um, uh, and uh, they were also acquiring a lot of different companies. But uh, 2022, I don't think we have seen a lot from ECI. They have released some features to different product lines, but nothing major as such in terms of the acquisitions. In fact, Apicor slowed down a little bit as well, maybe because of the market expectations. So I don't know any ERP vendor that are super active at this point of time in the market in the acquisition game. Now, uh, coming back to your E2 Softtech and some of the other product lines that they have, uh, and obviously ECI has a lot of different product lines in their portfolio. They got a lot of uh, them from the company called Exact, uh, and that is going to be your Makulas of the world, Maxis of the world. And then you obviously have the E2 Softtech and the Job Boss. Job Boss also came as part of your Exact acquisition. Um, again, if you look at the architecture from the design perspective, 
the way these products are designed, they are very simplified in general. They are designed for smaller businesses. E2 Shop, Shop Tech, uh, you know, is very different product. And it typically competes, in my mind, right now, it would be competing with, uh, number one, ECIM1, their own products, I guess. <laughs> then then Job Boss. Then it's going to be competing with your Cispro, I, I would think. SAP Business One. Um, I'm going to think ProShop. ProShop and E2 Shop and, and Global Shop 3. Uh, they are probably going to be competing head-to-head in general. Um, now, you know, if you look at the product architecture of E2 Shop Tech, I personally like it, okay? Uh, that's very rare in this particular space. It is designed more from the ERP mindset perspective. Uh, the data model is not too off, uh, that you are going completely off. And if I remember correctly, I guess, when we reviewed ECIM1, you know, I probably didn't like that. Dave, Andy, you guys can remind me. There was one product that was completely off, and I was like, okay, now this data architecture is, is completely off from the ERP industry. So was that I, one, Tim, or which one was that? Do you remember? I thought that was Global Shop. No, no. Global Shop was okay. Global Shop, you know, had really clunky UI. Uh, you know, if I yeah. remember correctly, it, Global Shop we reviewed long, long, long. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're down in Houston. There was one product recently that was developed in Australia by a war. Uh, my understanding is that that was ECIM1. I don't know what I'm missing here. Um, well, M1 used to be actually years and years and years ago used to be the same product as Epicor. But I can't think of what ECI owns that used Australia off the top of my head. There was one product that I remember that was completely off in terms of design. Um, you know, there was like uh, in the left, we had trees. Uh, and then the way <laughs> the, 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 the way their jobs were, I mean, see, it was almost like a tree structure, which was like completely off from what you would okay. see. In well, the we'll have to research that, Sam, to figure yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we need to we need to go back and look at our list. Okay, we have reviewed like yeah. a million products, and sometimes it becomes very confusing <laughs> which one we are talking about. But no, I mean, honestly speaking, I actually like the data architecture of uh, E2 Shop Tech a lot, and typically that's not the norm when you look at any of the products that are going to be targeted for these job shops. Typically, their data or the product architecture is going to be so off then, you know, you, you are probably going to have data migration issues later on. And that's always my fear when I look at these products. Now, when you are going to be really small and you don't really care for your historical data, you are simply trying to get to that $20 million mark, you might be okay, I guess. But I think you will have significant issues if your data is going to be too off uh, from your mainstream ERP uh, categories. Uh, ProShop in particular, uh, you know, when we reviewed ProShop, ProShop was way off in general from the ERP industry. That was my personal concern. They're, uh, a, small, they're a small vendor, though, Sam. They've only got so many dollars to invest. Right? It's not the question of dollars. I think it's also a question of expertise and the experience and the skill set and the way you are positioning your product. Okay. So typically, when any of the products that are going to be positioned for uh, job shops, in my experience, the way they like to sell and market is, hey, mainstream ERPs don't work, and that's why my product is better, okay? They have designed it very differently because that's how they saw it. They don't really have formal computer science degree or the computer uh, engineering discipline. Typically, these are going to be manufacturers who were frustrated with the, the whole ERP industry, and that's how they created these products. So there is a different mindset. Uh, here, when you talk about the mainstream ERP industry, we are talking about tons and tons of 
research dollars that universities are investing in studying the data and that's how your SAPs of the world are created okay <laughs> you might complain a lot <laughs> that SAP doesn't work but point is most of the ERP system when you talk about real supply chain planning in supply chain planning there's a lot of research that is happening with the material science the way your material is supposed to be structured in your manufacturing environment the way your production is supposed to work okay people do phds uh, <laughs> in these things um so yeah so some people you know who grew up on a shop floor they might believe that you know whatever they teach in the universities doesn't matter but that's not the case i mean see most of the pieces if you look at their data architecture they are going to so, sort of follow the uh, similar trend. I mean, you will you will follow trends. There might be a little bit of deviation, but for the most part, if you're looking at mainstream ERP system, they typically don't go way off. Sam, I, I dug back to, it looks like it was the ECI M1. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew it. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, that's what, I mean, typically we when I'm looking- doubt you, Sam. We should never doubt you. <laughs> no, honestly speaking, I mean, when I look at any of the job shop product, my take on those is going to be that they are going to be way off, okay? So when I look at, okay, now this is a small product that is designed more from the ERP mindset, I kind of like, okay? The same thing goes for Odoo as well. Odoo is a very small product in general, but if you look at the data architecture, the way it is designed, it seems like people had a little programming. Uh, they had architected a system before. <laughs> it's not coming from a shop floor. That's uh, the only thing I am trying to mention here. But in this particular case, uh, E2 shop tech, by the way, this uh, system was not designed uh, by people who had the software architecture or the engineering background. This was designed by people from shop floor, but I think they spent a lot of time in studying how these systems work. So, or maybe ECI did a lot of work in this. But in general, when you look at the product architecture, uh, you know, it's better than most products that are targeted for job shops. It's definitely better. So I personally like it. And that's probably the reason why if you talk to any of the job shop owners, they probably don't like it to shop tech. Okay, and the reason why they don't like E2Shop Tech is because the other companies are trying to pitch. You know what? E2Shop Tech is not going to work. It is going to be too difficult for you to learn because, you know, there's a little learning that goes when you adopt any sort of ERP system. And yeah. most job shop owners, they are not willing to do that. And that's why they like products such as your ECIM1 Pro Shop because they are trying to sort of create the architecture the way, you know, shop likes to see it as opposed to training their people how ERP is supposed to work. Fair say. Okay, um, uh, do you guys have any comments before we start on these? Well, I'm sure we're going to talk a about a lot of things today. Um, I mean, obviously, the E2 product with ECI is merged with the Job Boss today, and now it's called Job Boss 2, which is going to be really interesting what happens there, because if you think about E2 and Job Boss, they were both targeting almost identical type companies, like you said, uh, job shops, small job shops. So it'll be interesting how it all flushes out once uh, once both everyone know, you know gets a good feeling of what this new thing can do and cannot do. And that's a very interesting commentary. And, and I can think more from the ECI strategy perspective because it is also very difficult for them. Okay. And the reason oh. why they, they chose to merge your job boss and E2 shop tech because they were slightly relatable. Your M1 yeah. is a completely different beast. <laughs> okay. So that's no, going to have exactly. its own... <laughs> it's its own community, it's strive, and that product is very difficult to re-architect, and that's why they are not touching that. So you have sort of the, the community that they have for M1, and this is the similar problem, I guess, some of the other companies are facing. For example, let's say, if you look at Apicor, Apicor Eclipse, you know, that's going to be a completely different community, 
Okay, you don't right. touch that. So that's why you don't have a lot of innovation that is happening on those products because they are way off uh, from the industry. But in the case of Apicor Eclipse, I can see why you would have that community because there is a business rationale for that. ECIM1, probably not. I just did not see that, you know, anything was too different, I guess. You know, you can re-engineer your process and you can do, uh, you can, uh, you know, use mainstream ERP products and you're going to be fine. But that's not the case when you look at uh, Apicor Eclipse. There is a reason why, uh, you know, we need Apicor Eclipse. Yeah, ECIM1, not too sure. So, so you think that the M1 product may not have a long future? Well, depending upon whether people are willing to move or not, and if they are not willing to move, how many companies are going to be on that is going to be a question, right? So that's the sort of when you have these small tribes that have their own faith and beliefs, and they are not willing to change. So there has to be something that needs to happen. I don't know, you know, uh, maybe you have some comments there, but yeah, (laughs) I don't know what can be done. And the reality is the E2 and the Job Boss system both target the same audience, so it, it makes sense to merge it into one. It's going to be much easier for ECI going forward. Yeah, but, you know, if you look at the market, the way job shops are targeted, to be honest, I mean, companies like ProShop, companies like, uh, you know, or systems like ECI M1, they are going to be throwing jabs at Job, job Boss as well as your E2 shop tag that, you know, these systems suck. They don't work for your company. That's why well, I you think M1's going to say that they... That, oh, that they are all fighting with each other. They are going to have different teams, Andy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know this, right? How this works. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know how that goes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Any other comments, guys? Okay. So let's start uh, with the slides. So here I have a little bit of history uh, on E2 shop tag. So here they are saying E2 shop tag software. Uh, you know, has been incorporated since 1984, which is a long time, uh, probably somewhere around when Andy was there, I guess, or maybe, you know, Andy has been <laughs> longer. So here uh, they are saying E2 shop tech system was developed in in a job shop in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, and the, by the way, E2 name came from their last name. So that's very typical of any of the software that came from uh, any sort of job shops. Um, this was the foundation was for make to order manufacturer. And I don't know where you draw the line for make to order, to be honest. Uh, that's a very difficult line to draw. Uh, I saw in some commentary that um, some people believe that this is more for the assembly centric organization. That's how, you know, when you look at the bombs of Epicor. Really? I thought it was designed for job shop. So this is what, you know, we have here uh, based on their own commentary. <laughs> this is how they are trying to position. Okay. So okay. they are trying to claim that they were designed for make to order. Uh, but even job shops are make to order. So uh, again, yeah. I don't... when you say make to order, it's a much larger piece of the pie than job shops. Exactly. 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 That's a point. But um, yeah, I don't know where you draw the line, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, the if you look at their bombs, the bombs are very similar to how Apicor Kinetic is designed. And Apicor Kinetic, my perception was that was designed more for the assembly-centric manufacturing, not re- really the strong manufacturing. Yeah, so you would probably have the similar challenges here as well, the way uh, bombs are structured. Um, yeah, very, very possible, yeah. Yeah, so here they are saying, I mean, the whole reason why, you know, the whole pitch of for these job shop was, hey, you can track my job to job. Uh, that is the, the fundamental pitch, and they have a lot of functionality. 
uh, at the job level. And that's what most job shops were worried about. So, Andy, you are right. I guess they are trying to position themselves to order. But well, they're trying to get sold. a larger footprint, right, by saying make to, make to order. But the big difference between a generic make to order system and a job shop system, material plant, because a I job agree. shop usually buys directly to the job and they keep as minimum inventory as possible, whereas a make to order manufacturer commonly needs the supply chain functionality you were talking about earlier. Exactly. And I don't think this particular system is going to have as deep inventory or MRP functionality because, as you know, job shops don't care for that. No, they, they just don't, don't know how MRP is supposed to work. Uh, <laughs> Unless they're mixed mode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Can't Dave complicate trying, things, Andy. Yeah. Dave is trying to comment something, I guess. Okay. So let's see. Um, okay. So Dave, you might have some challenges there, I guess, um, with your connection. That's okay. Uh, okay, so let's keep going. Um, so here, uh, you know, we have uh, some more comments, profitability based on accounting at the end of the month. But one of the other layer that you are going to see with these is going to be they like to position themselves as more of the production system. So let's say if you are using QuickBooks, and if you are using QuickBooks, obviously you don't understand how inventory is supposed to work. Because if you really want <laughs> your inventory to be in order and the MRP planning to be in order, you have to have that, uh, you know, I don't know how to define that, but it is probably going to be either financial operations or operational finance. Dave, you can tell me <laughs> what that is. Uh, it well, could go either ways, but, you know, you have to have your GLs incorporated as part of your products. If you are not able to do I'll, that. I'll if tell you, you how I doing... read that sentence, which yeah, go ahead, please. I, yeah. I believe I'm correct. See, job shop systems are tracking. Obviously, they start with an estimate to create a work order. They're tracking the work in process. Eventually, they ship. But what this is saying is that, like many job shop systems, you can't get the actual cost until a job is complete. Or, in this case, it's saying end of the month. Whereas what they're implying is with E2, you can see the cost whip at that moment in time is what I think we're applying. Yeah, but I mean, when you are going to be integrating with QuickBooks, you are probably doing one-way integration. So, yeah. you know, you technically don't have, you can... And you're probably sort of, pushing it at the end of the month, right? Well, you can push at the end of the day as well. Uh, right. You know, you can have some data coming from QuickBooks too. But as such, you don't really have that layered inventory that typically gives you those LIFO-LIFO <laughs> layers. You know, again, MRP is a very complicated subject in general. Okay, if you do it right, then only you are going to, uh, you know, get the advantages of MRP. But in general, uh, these systems cannot support that. Dave, go ahead, please. No, I, I was just going to kind of agree with that last point. I mean, it, to me, it's almost just a, a waste of an integration because you're, you know, you're you're not uh, fully taking advantage of of the the data and the information that you know would really drive some sort of you know efficiency or improvement forward. Uh, you know, when you're doing that. Exactly. And if you ask the person who really dealt with deep inventory layers and the operational finance, for example, people like Phil, if Phil were here, he would not even treat this as the ERP system. He's like, okay, if I'm not seeing my life in FIFO, <laughs> it's not an ERP system. So, you know, that's how deep anybody who has dealt with the inventory and slightly larger company, that's how seriously they take the MRP as well as inventory. But I think it has accounting software. Just optionally integrate the global shopper or pardon me to uh, QuickBooks. Yeah, but I mean, you are not going to have all those layers. Uh, you know, the layers uh, are going to be very simplified in general. So sure, you're going to have AP, AR, GLs, but again, okay. basic, basic. Um, okay, so let's uh, look at some more slides here. So here they are saying shops of all sizes and types have turned 
to E2 manufacturing is to help. Uh, so now they are referencing it as shop. Uh, so Andy, you are right that it is probably uh, you know targeted for shops, not really make to order because make to order is probably going to be slightly bigger in general. Uh, here are the and by the way, Miti, I love these screens. The way this product is architected, it's it's very clean. You know, it looks like they have hired. Uh, you know, some architects, it's not just the developers uh, <laughs> who are trying to figure out. Uh, so this is very, very well done. The UX is amazing. Um, the way the product appears, uh, it has very similar feeling as Job Boss. And that's the reason why they are trying to merge uh, both of these products, because this is going to be an easy integration as opposed to merging your M2. At least I'm not qualified to do that. I don't know about other people. <laughs> Um, so here we have some very interesting feature sets uh, that I have not seen in any other systems, which are going to be things like code date, follow-up date, expires on. Okay, this could be very handy when you have just, you know, uh, you are, are a very small shop and, you know, you need to follow up uh, on your code. But again, you are not sort of doing the ERP transaction the way your ERP is supposed to work. Then you have to close your sales order. If you close your sales order in the right manner, then probably you don't need to worry about these things. So, you know, again, this is where they are going going slightly off uh, in general from the ERP industry. Uh, it could be very natural for a salesperson, but in my mind, they should be learning the ERP as opposed to going back because, you know, once you hit the $20 million point, what are you going to do? Are you going to find another E2? You are not going to find. You have to... <laughs> Join, join the mainstream, uh, you know, ERP system or, uh, or or the company. Smaller job shops who usually don't have a lot of sophistication. Uh, the simple little tab, add to calendar, they must love that. Exactly. And and by the way, I mean, see, the kind of people that they are going to hire, they just don't have a lot of funds to be able to train them. Okay. So when you are looking to train them on the depth of the operation and supply chain planning, uh, that's a heavier ask. So they try to make it simpler. For these guys, okay, this is how you like to see this, how you do your job, and here are your fields. This is what you need to worry about. That's it. We are going to be done. So, you know, it kind of makes sense for those guys. Uh, but again, if I, it were my company, I would be training. Uh, Dave? Yeah, it, I mean, in my mind, it gets back to, you know, the genesis of this product, right? Who created it to begin with? And typically, when you look at, you know, these smaller systems or looking at it from that, kind of owner operator perspective because that's the size companies that you're typically dealing with and it's those kind of niceties where they haven't fully thought through a, a you know a, a completely integrated data architecture or or uh, you know technology architecture that would have a CRM you know inclusive of this and and have some of that integrated the points could not agree uh okay so let's look at the you know some of the other screens here so if you look at the scheduling it's awesome the way it is done it's very tasteful uh you know it's very pretty um and you know it probably can work for most job shops and it's going to be a slightly simpler perspective, but this is probably not going to help you with your constraint-based scheduling because it's not no. going to have all of those layers. Uh, what you're looking at here is an infinite scheduling. Uh, it's, I would call this as slightly more basic than that. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But because, it is simple. It is, you know, it's, it is very graphical. Yeah, so the best way to think about this is going to be, let's say if I'm running a five-people shop, 
you know, I just don't have that data layer complexity. You know, I don't have to worry about all of those things. Uh, I'm looking at simple spreadsheet, okay, three columns, um, job in, job out. That's how my scheduling is. Why do I need to worry about 5,000 things? So the perspective is very different. And that's what these guys like to see in, in the simplified manner. But again, when you are going to grow, then you are going to have a lot more interdepartmental workflow that are going to be impacting your scheduling. So scheduling is not going to be as simple. But at this stage, when you are going to be that 5, 10, 15 million dollar, you know, it's probably going to be okay. So here we have, you know, obviously visual planning by work center, employee department, job number. But when people, let's say, if a buyer who's buying for the first time and they don't really have the taste of the ERP system, for them, the system, Epicor and Ford, they all are going to appear very similar because in a way, if you look at, you know, the, the systems, they have very similar scheduling screens. And by the way, the other thing that is going to be really easy in this particular system is going to be that everything is probably on one screen, which is going to be extremely difficult in larger system that you have to jump around 20 or 30 different screens because it's yeah. very hard to incorporate all of those uh, at one place. Um, so here we are looking at the work center perspective, employee perspective, department perspective. It's a nightmare to um, do this in larger systems. But again, it's very hard to incorporate all of those perspectives because you are going to have 20 different personas, 20 different jobs, and those 20 different people have very different responsibilities. In a job shop, one guy may be doing everything. They might be doing procuring. They might be doing you know uh, planning. But when you look at the larger companies, they have a guy who does production planning. They have a guy uh, who's going to be a buyer uh, and they are going to be different category buyers. Uh, there is going to be a person uh, who is going to be responsible for, uh, you know, uh, picking uh, on the shop floor. So those people are going to have very different workflows. Now, in this particular case, do, if you have that large organization, uh, not everybody is going to be enjoying this because then they are going to think that, you know what, I'm seeing 200 different things that I don't care for. Okay, <laughs> so for them, it's going to be slightly more difficult. But let's say if one person does a job of 20 people, then probably this is going to be okay because this is a very simplified workflow. I don't know if I'm making sense here, Dave, Andy, any, any follow-up comments there? No, I think <clears throat> I hit the, hit the nail on the head. I mean, any kind of a job shop system, I mean, especially for very small job shops, you want it to be as simple as possible and to make it easy, not only enter data, but follow what's going on in the shop at all times. And it appears exactly what uh, you were describing. Dave, any, nothing else to add, right? Yeah. I, you know, the thing I was going to add about that, it, it to me, it's a, it's kind of an interesting, you know, with some of these smaller uh, solutions, to me, what, what I find really interesting is kind of, on one hand, you have the pursuit of keeping things simple, right? <laughs> And on the other hand, you've got additional complexity. Like when I look at this screen, a couple of things that caught my eye are, you know, time and attendance and quality, you know, time and attendance under shop floor control and then quality under the, the next screen. And I, I think in some of the, you know, seeking to simplify, which I, I agree is a good thing, they've added in some layers of complexity to try to satisfy you know, kind of the overall requests of these things. But at such a high level, I would imagine that to me, it's almost doing a disservice uh, from a process standpoint. So I don't know. I, I just, I think it's interesting to see some of the uh, choices that the solutions make uh, in terms of functionality. Um, and, and again, then how does that translate into somebody purchasing this and 
what do they think that they're getting versus what they're actually getting. And I think that's the real thing I struggle with uh, from that kind of being a disservice from a process standpoint. It's not, in my opinion, helping these businesses uh, get to a point that they can continue to scale and be prepared for you know, a traditional ERP. It, it kind of serves its purpose in that as well, if that's the revenue band that you'd like to stay in. But if, if you have real aspirations, um, I think that some of these solutions um, with some of the functionality could be, could be hurting more than they're helping. Yeah, uh, could not agree more. And you are not the only one who struggles with it. I think everybody does, <laughs> regardless of how much experience you have, uh, you know, with this. So thank you so much for those comments. Um, so some more screens here. And, you know, if you look at the their mobile functionality that is very deep and rich and some of the things that I could notice, especially on, on, on mobile front, uh, you have things such as your bins. Uh, and again, you know, I don't know, how many job shops are really going to use the bins? Uh, okay, in my mind, bins is slightly more distribution-centric functionality as well as, um, you know, that the manufacturing that is going to be deep into distribution. That's when you get at the bin level. If you are going to have a small warehouse, you know, why would you complicate your process? Just keep it simple. Uh, but it seems like, you know, these guys have it. I have seen this and uh, I think we saw this in the case of your uh, M1 as well. But then you cannot sort of do the inventory, but then you have when. So I just, <laughs> I don't get it. You know, why these guys sort of complicate the process from the warehouse perspective when you don't have the real inventory, inventory functionality supported or from the process perspective, as well as from the system perspective. So I always get confused when I look at, okay, job shops are using bin. They are using lot number. Lot number is okay. Lot number they have to use because they have to comply with AS9100 aerospace they don't have a choice. <laughs> they have to use. But bins, not too sure if you need to overcomplicate at that level. It's probably to do with, you know, obviously when you're building your order, the vendor sometimes has a minimum quantity you can purchase more than they need. So therefore, they've got leftovers. But it's probably just, you know what, the fact that they've got bins is probably just a checkbox in a questionnaire. Andy, so, uh -huh. okay. So when I look at the sales quote, I can see a vendor there, okay? So basically, my assumption is going to be you are purchasing directly because your vendor is actually tied to your sales code. Uh, but then what are bins doing there? Yeah, I, I get your point, but uh, yeah. Who knows? Deep, go ahead. You had a comment, no? Um, okay. So again, you know, there is a little process problem. There is also a little system problem. But overall, uh, if you look at their screens, you know, the screens are supposed to be very simple from the mobile perspective as well. The only thing they have is clock in, clock out, start job, stop job. Let's say if you are doing concurrent operation where, you know, you need to report your machine separate from your uh, your labor, you are probably going to have challenges there. Uh, you know, at least I'm not seeing it. Some people might argue that you probably are able to do that somewhere, but at least, you know, that's not visible on, on these. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So this is the structure of their estimates. Now, estimates are very interesting as well. And I get very similar feel the way Epicor, uh, you know, designed their bombs. So here, one of the things that you're going to notice is, you know, they start with material. And this is how your NetSuite is going to start, okay? And that's why, that's my problem with NetSuite as well, uh, because that is designed more for the assembly-centric uh, organization. It's not really designed for hardcore manufacturing. So here you are going to start with your material, and then you are going to have routing. So now you have a thing called step number. I don't know if that is the correlation that they are trying to correlate with your routing. There is 
something out there. So underneath, from the data perspective, my assumption is going to be your steps don't really have clear correlation with your material. And that's where, let's say, if you're going to be very heavy engineering shop, then you want to have those correlations. That's how your CAD program is going to work. That's how your bombs are going to be from CAD perspective. And if you don't have that correlation supported by your data model, you're probably going to get challenges. Uh, but again, if you're doing light manufacturing where you don't really uh, care for the data integrity, then probably you are going to be okay. The other point I would mention on this particular screen is going to be you just have two layers of reporting. So you just have your setup time as well as cycle time. Now, you know, that cycle time is probably going to be your runtime. So again, if you have another layer of uh, reporting your machine versus labor, you probably don't have that. Uh, when you are a small, you can lump that up. Who cares? But when you get into the real operational efficiency where you need to evaluate how much your machine is costing, how much your labor is costing, and where you should be putting effort to increase your efficiency, now you are not going to have that data. Uh, but again, at the level you are, you are probably uh, you know profitable. So who cares? <laughs> okay. Some more comments here. One of the things that I have noticed in these kind of systems, and this was a deal breaker with a lot of customers that we have personally dealt with. So if you look at some of the automotive suppliers, uh, you know, you look at uh, suppliers such as cutting tools, they are probably, the way their coating is done, it's very different. So typically they are going to have the price breaks as part of your coat itself. Okay, for them, they don't want to send free code. Now, if you go to your mainstream ERP system, they will probably not be able to support that because they want you to send free code, okay? So this is a very interesting piece of functionality that some people just don't, they like to see everything as part of your estimate. Now, you know, so here you are able to do that, but then your data is going to be off when you are going to be going to your next ERP system. So what are you going to do? Are you going to customize the ERP system to be able to support this? If you customize, you are looking at $100,000, $200,000 just for that customization. And again, in my mind, I think that's more of a, process issue that these companies are able to support just because the customers are asking. But if I were doing the implementation, I would try to coach uh, that you probably should be simplifying your process because you are not going to get in that in the larger system. But this is where your e 2 shop pack is off as well, that you are going to have the pricing ladder as part of your sales code that you are probably not going to find uh, in the mainstream ERP. Uh, there are some very interesting feature, and this we have seen across the board, whichever were targeted for job shops. Uh, you are always going to get the alternate part number. Then the price calculation method is very interesting. Okay, so they are doing billing rate and cost plus markup. So that's a very simplified way of thinking the pricing. Okay, if you are a very uh, you know small job shop, this is probably going to be okay. But when you look at the real pricing scenarios, where you need to look at okay, what is driving sales? Okay, that's where you need to have far more layers in your pricing to be able to see what's working. If you don't have that, then, you know, you are sort of limited uh, with the kind of options you are going to have here. Any comments, guys? No. Okay, so this is the functionality that I was talking about. So this is where you are going to get price break as part of your quote itself. This is a very interesting piece of functionality that some systems are able to support. I don't know, Andy, if you have seen this in any of the uh, mainstream ERP systems. Again, the the systems that are going to be positioned more for the job shop or a smaller manufacturing companies, those are the ones that are going to have this. I don't think I have seen this in Apicor in for obviously not anywhere. the vendor? No, no, no. So these price it's breaks are- selling price break. Yeah, to, to, a, oh, okay. uh, to a customer. To a customer, got price it. Price quote. Dave, have you seen this in any of the companies that you have worked in? Yeah, 
Yeah, there um, there was some functionality uh, in JD Edwards uh, that would allow for this, but to me, it's really a carryover. You know, to answer the question of from a process standpoint, a lot of this, from what I've seen, is really a carryover from catalog pricing, where customers were typically used to seeing uh, end quantity pricing and price breaks at at particular quantities. So as that transitioned into um, you know custom quoting, if you will. Um, you know, many customers would still request that. Well, what's the price break at, you know, 50, 100, 250? Uh, and oftentimes the the kind of wildest part about that from my perspective is oftentimes it was more so um, a comfort level from a, from, from a, a customer visibility standpoint than it really was anything process or system really. Um, and typically you would find customers still going for uh, you know, the most popular quantity kind of regardless of what they would see in terms of a price break. So I always thought that was kind of interesting uh, from the standpoint of, you know, that that customer psychology. Well, you know, visual was designed originally for job shops back in its very earliest days. And it does have a very similar capability. here. Um, actually, it's almost identical. So here, Andy, you are going to have the quantity breaks on the same line and you are going to have two different pricing. Yeah, uh, I interesting. know. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So let's say uh, the, my challenge with this functionality is, you know, let's say if I wear my sales hat, okay, I'm thinking like my, my like a sales leader. This is wonderful. This is what I want. But now when you are going to think this from the process perspective, okay, so let's say if the customer says, I want 50 and I am looking for the price of 49.50. So what do you do after that? Are you going to kill this quote and going to create another quote that is going to have 49.52? Or are you going to modify on this one? So that's no, no, real- you should be able to modify it when the customer is converting it to the order. Well, right? so you lose the transparency and that's where the problem is. Okay, that's why mainstream ERP uh-huh. systems, the way they like to do this is, okay, you have three different codes and the code that is going to be converted in the opportunity. So you have the clear uh, traceability in terms of which code got accepted by the customer. And that's why you would send as opposed to sending, uh, you know, mm-hmm. pricing at the line level. So that's my issue with this one. But this, yeah. this is this is almost identical how Visual does it. The other challenge, to your point, Sam, the other challenge with that and what we'd see often is two different things. Number one, from a you know whoever's handling and launching that estimate to order, um, oftentimes if those lines weren't deleted when it was converted correctly, it would result in in basically having to start start the whole entire process over with duplicating the estimate, then you know converting it to sales order. That is problem number one. Um, but problem number two beyond that was uh, the fact that you know oftentimes customers would change their minds. So you've gone through the process, launched the order, and then they've called back and said, you know what, Ab, give me the higher quantity. And so you still have, from a process standpoint, you still have that problem. So yeah, I you know I agree from a a, a clean uh, traceability standpoint, it'd be great to have you know three separate quotes. Uh, I can tell you often in practice, especially when you have that carryover from catalog pricing or kind of tradition set uh, from a customer experience standpoint, it can be very challenging to get uh, the sales team and or you know sales leadership on board with going from one estimate to that three estimates. So. Yeah, could not agree more. And this is the same concept that we are talking about from the accounting perspective. What's the problem yeah. in deleting lines? Just go ahead and delete. Who cares for audit? <laughs> <laughs> <Right? laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> right? 
Anyways, guys. Okay, so this is the functionality that we are talking about, the QuickBooks Sync. Okay, so QuickBooks Sync, when you uh, look at, you know, from the system perspective, you're going to think, you know, integration, magic button, push it, it's going to be done. <laughs> but typically, there are a lot of challenges. In most cases, it's probably going to be one way. Uh, even if you have two way, you know, it's a very flaky way of thinking from the technology architecture perspective. By the way, QuickBooks is just a file. It's not even a SQL Server database. Uh, and, you know, it's a wild, wild west. Uh, if it is going to error out, it's not even going to report it. Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be really flaky. But again, if you're going to be uh, in that um, size of the market, then you are probably going to be okay. But if you're looking for clear traceability, clear reliability, data integrity, then obviously you need slightly more reliable system that is going to have tight integrity, data integrity across your processes. Um, now, this is also very, very, very interesting. And Dave, I would love to hear your perspective on this one, okay? So this is called backlog analysis. Now, they have come up with a term, sales backlog, okay? So now, as a sales leader, this is wonderful. This is what I want to see. How many of us are late? But if you look at from the operations and the finance perspective, you know, you don't have this. If you go to your mainstream ERP, and the reason for that is because you are looking for your open sales order, how many lines are fulfilled, how many shipments are created, how many invoices are unpaid. That's how you think. But when you are thinking purely from sales perspective, this is great. This is wonderful. Uh, but then you are coaching the wrong things in my mind. You are not really coaching them the end-to-end -end process that they should be coached. And you are kind of creating a culture which is going to be very siloed. So that's my problem with this functionality. But I don't know if you guys have seen any sort of practical application or backlog that I have not seen in the mainstream ERP system. Dave? No, I, I think you hit it right there, Sam. I mean, to me, you know, to your point, when you're looking at such a, uh, a narrowly focused, um, you know, report like this, you're really setting yourself up for failure from the standpoint of understanding what that data can do from an operations perspective to impact your financials at the end of the month. I mean, when you're when you're running a system that provides the level of detail that we've kind of laid out at a high level, both on the inventory side and and you know now uh, as it as it relates to backlog, um, you know it's one of those things you you don't know what you don't know. So if, if you've never experienced the power of that data and that functionality can be very easy to be lulled into the thought process that this is very valuable information. And the reality of it is that it's just not uh, nearly as valuable. I mean, you know, if you had to put percentages on it, I would say this, this information is, you know, 5% as valuable as, you know, a real backlog report with full functionality yeah. to understand where your resources are going to be allocated, how my month's going to turn out based on uh, a number of other KPIs and, and data coming your way. So, okay, amazing insights. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Um, so, some more things, uh, you know, now if you ask your E2Shop tech, they are going to say, you know what, I can cover your outside. Um, processing, uh, you know, we have that functionality. But there are a million different ways of doing these. The smaller, the way they like to approach this, they are going to give you a field, you are going to have a charge, and that's it. Your outside processing is done. And that's how it is done in E2Shop tag, okay? So, but typically, when you are looking at the complete workflow, end-to-end -end integration of your financial, as well as operational workflow, from the finance perspective, financial control perspective, as well as operational planning perspective, the way this functionality is to work is you are going to have a step 
as part of your bomb the bomb is going to result in purchase order there's going to be a little bit of inventory exchange you know the inventory needs to be accounted in your system but here you don't even care for inventory so who cares you can you know uh, update your your gls as much as you like but again here the functionality is very shortcut very ad hoc the way it is done you know you don't have the full flavor the way your outside processing to be done it might be okay when you are small but when you grow that that's when you need the full fleshed functionality especially if you are going to be really busy in the outside processing if that is going to be your bottleneck then you need complete traceability okay what is causing the bottleneck is it the vendor who's delaying is it that you are not getting these items on time what's going on i mean to me this is a perfect example sam of you know filling the gap with people because typically in in you know a sub 20 million dollar a year facility that's exactly what would happen you'd have all these outside processes that are 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 needing to be monitored and managed and and dealt with and and how do you do that right you're going to fill the gap with with uh you know a team lead or an operations leader or somebody that has to keep an eye on it because again you lose the visibility in the system when you don't have these tied together. Uh, and and again, maybe you know if you're handling five jobs a day, no big deal. But if you grow to you know 50 jobs a day, that all of a sudden becomes one person's full-time job now. Where you know had this functionality been a part of the system, uh, or you are preparing for that in in you know a future system, uh, you'd be able to see. Uh, you know, have that visibility and see the impact. Yeah, could not agree more. Thank you. Um, some more screens. Now, this is a very interesting piece of functionality called releases as part of your uh, sales orders. And I believe we have seen this in case of Epic or Eclipse. I don't know if I remember seeing this in any other systems. The release, I mean, there might be so many different layers of release. Sometimes release could be just an, you know, change order that you have for a job. But here, the V uh, release functionality is structured. It's almost like your blanket, uh, you know, order. And I don't know if these guys are trying to do release because they don't have the blanket order supported as part of the system. That could be a possibility. But in the case of Apicor Eclipse, we could see that these releases actually had different life cycle, the way they had. So they sort of had their own workflow, the way that industry works. So again, I don't know if the release functionality is going to be required but again, this is a very interesting piece of functionality that could be, uh, you know, there as a result of broken process, processes or some industry may need that. Dave, uh, any any comments? Well, I I guess a question more so than anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, my, my question, I suppose, looking at this screen in particular is if it's the functionality to handle a, a bill's released or something like that, uh, you know, looking at the dates, like, well, at what point do you close this order out? Because this, you know, this order is has spanned, you know, and you know, a, a year. <laughs> you know, so at what point do you close the order out and put it into inventory and handle releases? If you know, I guess it's the functionality overall that I'm I'm questioning. I just don't understand. Isn't the customer giving them a blanket order? Isn't that what I'm reading? So I think there are three things that are mixed in this functionality, in my experience. Okay, so typically, if you are look, going to look at even decent size. ERP system. They are going to have a contract. They are going to have a blanket order. They are also going to have the real order, the transactional order that you are trying to close. Okay. In this particular case, I don't think they support probably the contract. And that's why they need to handle as part of the release. And Dave, you are so right. <laughs> that this order is never going to close. And that's what yeah. they do 
in let's say if you look at the electrical distribution space to be honest okay so what they do is they are going to have a commitment of 100 or 100 uh, you know orders or the inventory of 100 and they typically go and delete the line that's how they try to handle okay in every single as400 uh, installation that i've seen just because the system is limited and they are trying to delete the line they are going to change the sales order and once you do that then you lose that traceability that's my challenge with the whole release functionality that this becomes more of either the blanket order or as the contract and you are sort of playing the proxy. But I don't know. I mean, see, if you are going to require this, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just a big challenge and a big red flag from a visibility standpoint. You know, to your point, you just no matter how you have to try to work it in the system, you end up losing that visibility. And then it, then the data becomes worthless because, yeah. you know, it becomes that, oh, well, yeah, on that particular order, we do this. And then on these particular orders, we do this. And, you know, so how do you look at your financials and, and kind of reconcile, you know, from an operation standpoint, how do you reconcile what happened and ultimately work towards, you know, improving process? I mean, I'll tell you an answer, Dave, if you're looking for Make GL entry. Everybody does. <laughs> it's a wild, wild just, what, just what your accountant wants to hear. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's easy. It's easy math. Everybody can do plus and minus. I mean, what's the big deal? <laughs> Close <Yeah>. your books. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, so let's look at some of the reviews. So here they are saying this is the user 11 to 50 employees manufacturing company. Uh, they actually like the backlog, the shipment summaries, uh, obviously, and I don't know who this person is, to be honest, because we don't have the title uh, of the person, but my assumption is probably going to be this person is either in sales or customer service. They will absolutely love this because it's their perspective. But is operations or the supply chain person, are they going to love it? Probably not. What else do we have here? This is the business development. In No, this is what this review. So it's not really, we don't know. If the review number one has any sort of title here, they are saying great for backlog and shipment summaries. Also very good at keep, keeping track of partial shipments. Um, that's very interesting. I didn't realize that they will be able to support one to N scenarios, but seems like they have some way of tracking the partial shipments. Uh, at least the way the data was laid out, I didn't see that they would be able to support one to N scenario. It seems like they can probably do that uh, somehow. Uh, so here they are saying make partial uh, packaging slips so that we make them for exact amount of parts we ship. And then system also helps us create a router which goes on the shop floor with each individual job. Um, again, the process is very disconnected there, the way I'm reading this. Uh, so then they are saying there is an improvement that is required when it comes to production schedule uh, because it does not notify when we are running late on jobs. It needs to be done manually currently huh so why do you need to get notified when you are late on a job is that the scheduling problem to begin with so i don't know how to read that uh that seems to be more of a training issue dave uh any any, any commentary there I, I i would say it depends on what they're referencing because i could see in a system like this uh, where they may be thinking that uh, there should be some sort of a some sort of a flag then that goes uh, customer facing to to notify them of a of some sort of a delay um, that would that in my mind would fit along with the kind of uh, sales you know I agree with you that this is probably uh, you know somebody in one of those types of positions based on how the rest of the review reads but that that's my um, 
I, I think it I think it'd be customer facing an external uh, notification, not in- exactly. And we have some more comments here, and then we can open up the floor. So here we are saying, you know, uh, it's difficult to make changes to the order once and in and process. And there is a fundamental reason why ERP systems don't allow you to make changes to the order because the other person is actually working on that order. So you actually ask the other person to make changes to whatever changes you want to make. You don't simply make to the order because if you make, then the other person is not going to pick it up. So in my mind, this is all training issue. This is There's nothing uh, wrong with the product app. Uh, okay, guys. Uh, so I'll open up for um, the entry. Uh, if you guys have anything. Well, you know, E2 has been around for a long time. It's got a, a good following. And as long as, as we say every week, as long as they stay in their lane, I think they've got a great product for a nice small job shop. It seems fairly intuitive and fairly easy to follow. And the price is is good. You know, it's a great price system. Dave? Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that, Andy. I, I think I think the challenge, you know, is always about understanding what you what you, what the trajectory of what you're trying to do is, and if the trajectory of your business, uh, if you feel like you're going to, you know, be scaling it significantly, uh, this may be a, a situation where you know purchasing up to the next to to another level of system may benefit you. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting at a place like this, but I, I do think with some of the smaller systems, from a, from a buyer's perspective, you just have to be mindful to understand what you're getting, and that some of the functionality is really not helping you from a process standpoint prepare if you are to scale to that next level. So think about it from the standpoint of if we go with this system, then be prepared to redeploy process, retrain people, and be prepared for a much lengthier implementation in the future. I I think that's the best advice to somebody that's that's looking at and evaluating some of the smaller systems. It's not to take anything away from the functionality and the things that they do because they do them well. Um, but if you're a business that's looking at you know what what that future could be. Um, I think you you're best to understand that there could be some you know additional work into the next station. Any other final comments, guys? Okay. So Dave, I'm actually gonna have to agree with whatever you said in the last, and that's where the the real uh, you know crux of these smaller system. Whenever you are going to buy any of these smaller systems, uh, the implementation time is going to be far longer for the next one, or it is going to be garbage in, garbage out, or you are going to be unlearning and relearning a lot. But one of the things that I like about this system is this one is not as off as some of the other competing system in this particular segment. So this is far superior than any other systems that you are looking at. And you are probably not going to be investing as much later on when you are going to be going for the next. Uh, on that note, uh, you know, that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are not going to miss next week. We are going to come back with another vendor or the solution. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Thanks very much, Sam. Thanks, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the Chrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about ND Practical, head over to essoft.com. It's essoft.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. 
If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Brian Kippen, who shares his insights on robotic cell technology and how that can be implemented to increase capacity. Also, the interview with Dave Chrysler, who shares his insights into the nuances of the cannabis market and value chain. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.